Hi, I'm Marie Jenkins and this is my podcast, The Secret Diary of Marie Jenkins 47+. In today's Education Week episode, we interview the amazing Julie Kent, MBE, and hear about all of the amazing work she's been doing for charity and also her career in education. Enjoy. So hi everybody, I'm Marie Jenkins from Adventure Your Wellbeing and welcome to our podcast interview today. And today we're very fortunate because we've got an MBE with us. Hi Julie. Hi, good morning to you. Very honoured to have you on our podcast. <laughs> it, 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 honestly, I'm not really used to it, to be honest. You know, those three little letters that go after your name, it's a bit weird. It's incredible. And we're going to find out a bit more about how you managed <coughs> to get an MBE, those lovely letters after your name in a little while. So first of all, tell us who, who you are and what is it that you do? Um, Well, I'm Julie Kent and I was born in Gloucester and I went to school in Gloucester and then I went to Leeds College of Music where I did a a degree in jazz and light music. And then I played in different bands um, and then I um, met my husband and decided to be sensible-ish and became a teacher and started to teach more as well as playing in the evenings. Um, And then I started, I was teaching at different schools uh, peripatetic and then I concentrated and just taught at one school which was an independent school and I became a day housemistress there and four years after that I was asked to become a boarding housemistress and so we moved uh, with our two children into a boarding house and we lived there for 20 years until I retired last July but unfortunately I retired with a boarding house with no girls in it whatsoever, because of course in March they all had to leave. So it was a it was a sad ending to 30 years at Dean Close and at 20 of those in a boarding house. Wow, wow. So you've had a massive career then in education. Yeah. Huge. So before we go on <clears throat> to talking a bit more about sort of education. What's your involvement in charities? Uh, well, when um, when we had our first daughter in about 1992, um, when she was th- when she was two and a half, we uh, found out that she had a brain tumor, and she we had about six months of treatment before she died, and we started our own charity then called the Emily Kent Charitable Trust, which raised money for children in Gloucestershire with cancer. And at that time, uh, they were building a new children's hospital in Bristol, and we'd spent a lot of time in the old one, and a new children's centre at Gloucester. And both of those um, charities asked us if we would donate, and we donated 50000 to each of those charities in the 90s. And um, at Bristol, the daybeds oncology for paediatrics was called the Emily Kent unit and uh, bone marrow transplant actually and at Gloucester um, and it is still there at Gloucester 26 years on um, the oncology is called the Emily Kent unit and so um, we we ran our charity for about six or seven years and then we closed it and then I raised money for click sergeants breast cancer um, 
And then the Pied Piper appeal that we gave the 50,000 you asked me to become a trustee. And I'm now the vice chairman of Pied Piper, which um, encompasses the Emily Kent unit. Um, about two years ago, a homeless charity in Cheltenham um, asked me if I would become their chairman. So I'm chairman of the homeless charity in Cheltenham. And there's another local charity called Gold Beyond Grass, which is disabled children and young people that play football in power chairs. It's the only thing they can do, and that's all they live for. Um, and so I am sit on three boards of three charities, and, and I'm also a court member of the Honourable Company of Gloucestershire, which is a sort of livery company that promotes Gloucestershire. And they give, um, they've given away about 200,000 to so many small charities in Gloucestershire over the last 12 years. So it's really for smaller charities to apply for no more than a thousand pounds. And we sit on a board and we decide, you know, so it could be really small things, but just, um, and when I go out and talk about charity, you know, I do, it's a sort of, um, somewhere that people don't know anything about so I can promote it and get more small charities. I mean, I don't know about small, or every charity going is struggling at the moment, but um, it's just another place. And the money then is is um, raised from being a member of the Honourable Company. And of course, we'll give back to whatever is needed in Gloucestershire, which is great. Wow, wow. And what a lovely legacy for Emily. To have mm. her mom sort of raising all those funds for all those various charities. Well done, you. So, is, <laughs> how did the MBE come about? Well, um, obviously, I didn't know anything about it. And it was actually June last year when we were still in the boarding, in our empty boarding house and an email came through. And I actually thought it was spam because it was all capital <laughs> letters and numbers and I had actually the year before opened an invoice and brought the whole school system down so I was a bit wary and um but opened it and it said cabinet office and it said you know would you accept um wow. to be a member of the British Empire I was kind of I couldn't believe it my heart was racing I just could not believe it but you we in the email it says if you do accept you you're not allowed to say anything until the autumn because they wanted to give a lot more in the summer because of people that had done special things with COVID. So my husband and I had to keep it a secret for four months. <laughs> killer. Honestly, it was a killer. But um and I recently actually last week had a letter again from the cabinet office to say they are going to start the investitures and if you want, if you don't want to go to London, you can ha you can be presented it by your Lord Lieutenant in your county, and you can't take three people anymore. You can only take one. Because I was hoping to take my son and daughter. After Emily died, we then had a son, and then we had a daughter. Because when Emily was ill, we didn't. That she was our first and only child. Um, and I was hoping to be able to take them, but we won't be able to take them now. Um, and but at least we know it is going to happen because they've probably got about three lots to get through, which is going to be difficult. So, but exciting, you know. Everyone says, "What are you going to wear?" Everyone says to me, "What are you going to wear, Julie?" <laughs> well, I know, I know you have a number of wardrobes and a number of frocks, so I'm sure you'll find something to choose from. Well, I I've been reading. I was reading this week about how to do a sustainable wedding. 
And you can, you know, you can hire your wedding dress and give it back. And I was thinking, you can do that as well, can't you, for mother of the bride or whatever. So I probably will hire. I'll either go to a really upmarket dress agency and get one that someone else has donated or, but, you know, I've been really good. That is something because I was a complete shopaholic before COVID. And, you know, the girls at school, they, in fact, one of them, they made a film when I left and one of them said, I don't think I've seen Mrs. Kent in the same thing <laughs> in my five years of being at Dinklage, <laughs> which is an exaggeration, can I just say. Um, but um, so I, that is something I've really, you know, become very aware of in the last year and a half, really. I, I have way too many clothes. And um, the thing is, now I'm involved with two charity shops. So I'm involved in running two charity shops, which is a good thing. But they send me pictures all the time, you know, size six shoes and dresses. I make it, Julie, what about this? And it's there waiting for me when I get those. It's not good. But that's but. the beauty, isn't it? That's the beauty. Like where I live in Rubri, which is in Worcestershire, in my local village, we've got six different charity shops. And I'm coming. I absolutely love it yeah. because you can be sustainable. You can get some really fabulous outfits. Yeah. And you you are being sustainable, so yeah. I think it's great. But so your yeah. MBE is for all of your work with charities, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it says for services to charity, yeah. Fantastic. Well done you. Congratulations. That's really exciting. <laughs> So to go back to education then, so in relation to where we're at now in, in the pandemic, you know, we're on our roadmap out, which is, you know, really great. What do you see as the biggest sort of challenge or opportunity more actually for education? I was talking about this the other day, actually, and I think, um, I would first like to say that I really feel for teachers and I don't think teachers have had any sympathy at all. You know, everyone's sympathetic for the NHS workers, quite rightly, doctors, nurses, but teachers have had to turn the way they teach on a spin. And for example, January, I know um, not just the teachers that I worked with, but on our board at Pied Piper, we've got um, a headmaster of a special school that's got all SEND pupils and you know headmasters and senior managers spent the whole of Christmas gearing up for January where they'd have to test their kids twice a week mm -hmm. and on the night before they were due back they were told no they're not coming back and so all those teachers as well had all their lesson plans put them back in the classroom and immediately it's all got to be changed back to yeah. being online and I I do know that teachers are very stressed um, there's a lot of stress in the in the workforce in schools. And I think that is worth a mention that we need to think about those working in education. Um, but on the plus side, you know, I think it um, has made teachers look at the way they teach. And it also possibly just to be really uh, throw it out there. It does. It does make you think, do you have to be in a school to be taught? I mean, we at Dean Close, because we had a lot of boarders, we had a lot of um, overseas pupils. And imagine learning, imagine your, your natural tongue is Chinese 
and you're doing economics and some of the terms that you are trying to learn are in another language. Imagine if we were trying to do that in China. And so obviously that's why they're so good at maths because there's less language involved. Um, but when it came to economics, quite a few of them at night would go on and have um, the economics A-level being taught to them in Chinese as well so that they could understand it. And it just goes to show really that do we need to be in school to be taught? You know, there could be um, schools that are based absolutely anywhere and you yeah. can just zoom in and learn and do your GCSEs and A-levels and everything. Um, so I think it's definitely, A, looked at the way that we teach. B, it's looked at what schools offer because the difference is if you are rubbish in the classroom, but you're a great hockey player or you're a brilliant actress, you, it's been really difficult. You know, those things yeah, you yeah. do have to be with other people to do. And um, so if you're that kind of, if that's your talent, you've got to go to a school, haven't you? And, and be with the other people that do it. So I think it's opened up a lot of questions about education um, and for teachers probably, you know, giving them a lot to sit down and think about the way they teach and the way they present it. I actually was on a network um, in group last week with someone who, started out lecturing online and she said she was just so nervous she felt very exposed and you needed more work because you couldn't really say oh I'm so chat to the next person about that you know for five minutes and we'll come back and discuss it because you couldn't do that she said she's actually enjoying it now though and again you know we have really adapted haven't we in whatever yeah. field you're in but in education as well and and she's already you know planning for September and how she's going to cheat, teach and and is excited about it which is fantastic. It is fantastic I, I did my entrepreneurial degree at the University of Worcester and uh, David Boswood who was our course lead on entrepreneurship at the time he specifically developed online lessons so half of my degree was taught online mm. and half was you know the added value things of having your cohorts and yeah. your peers around you yeah and it's really interesting actually because he's now setting up entrepreneurial degrees in south sudan yeah uh, and you mentioned about chinese sort of international yeah. students why, why, do, why does it need to be a building, you know, with all the technology mm. we've got now? There's lots of opportunity. So I think it's an, in, an interesting and an exciting time, really, for education. Yeah. Yeah. So, talking about when you was working then in education, what sort of initiatives were you involved in when you was actually there at the school? Um, a couple of things, really. I was involved in organising the activities at the weekends. So uh, my house had 60 in. We had six boarding houses. So we would easily have 140 uh, young people, you know, age 13 to 18 on the site at the weekend. We did have Saturday morning lessons and we did have matches and games in the afternoon. But then we had to entertain them from Saturday evening until Monday morning. And so I used to um, run the weekend activities programme where we might go all go to the cinema or houses might link up and do a quiz, you know, with another voice, with a boys' house or something. Um, and then I also got involved with the careers side and introduced a sort of speed networking uh, with local businesses, which... Um, oh. 
worked really well. I managed to get two in because obviously the third year uh, we were in COVID. But the first year um, I got a room um, full of local businesses and the kids actually sat and we rang the bell um, and every five minutes they would move to the next bench in it. So they might go from engineering to law or whatever. And that was the sort of trial for it, really. And it worked quite well. Um, but we, we, some arrived late. So an engineering company arrived late. So they sort of did engineering because you had to have a system. Yeah. And also, if you weren't interested in engineering or, or not interested in law, you moved around. So you, you maybe spoke to people you didn't want to. So in the second year, um, we had everyone and they all brought their banners and the companies were there. And the sixth form had, I gave them a, a form and they had to speak to three. And one of them had to be a recruitment agency. So we had uh, two recruitment agencies there and then we had all the normal professions and they had to definitely speak to three. And then they had to write a comment on what they got from their discussion. So at least they then had a choice. So if they were interested in medicine, you know, we would have a doctor, we would have a nurse, we'd have paramedic or whatever. And so they could choose more and it was it was geared more, you know, to what they thought they wanted to do, which worked much better. And so in my final year, we were going to expand that and make that even bigger. But I think the they had to do the recruitment agency because they had to understand if they were going to take a year out, what are employers looking for? You know, and the recruitment agencies are the ones that know that more than anyone. You know, so they could say to them, you know, these sorts of jobs would be available just for the summer or um, these are the sorts of things you need to talk about. These are the sorts of things you need to put in your CV um, and, you know, offer them those sorts of experiences. Obviously have someone again there that's um, apprenticeships. Now, if I was doing it now, I'd have a kickstart person there, um, you know, because, Another thing to do with education is, you know, we had pupils that did go last year, didn't like being taught online, not getting the university yeah. experience yeah. at all, and actually dropped out. And ah, some of them are going to try again this year. Some have decided not and got themselves on apprenticeships, which I think it's going to be a very strong time for apprenticeships. Yeah. People want to learn on the job. And a lot of companies also... You know, they they want to train them from 18 how they want them to be. They don't really want them to come at 21 having studied business or whatever it is. They want to train them from 18 and get them in their way of thinking, don't they? Yes. So I think apprenticeships will grow more and more. But um, so those are the two initiatives that I was really involved with. Apart from the charity, obviously, I used to have 206 form um, that I had to place somewhere in our community so they might go to a charity shop they might go and sit in an old people's home and read the paper to them uh, they might go and do hockey coaching with young kids uh, they might form their own charity group and start to raise money for something that is going on in the world or something that's happening locally so it was called um, the community action program and that was something that I did for nearly 20 years and um, really wanted them to realize um, that how important giving is and how to be part of the community you know it was an independent school they were very privileged and our facilities were amazing so we used to on a rotor uh once a term have some children from one of the state schools in and they would do music and crafts and sport and then they'd stay for lunch and they loved our our school dining room having the tray and choosing what they wanted 
And then that afternoon, we would invite all the um, nursing homes to bring their um, their residents. And we I would get the sixth form musicians to play and maybe some of them oh. to read poetry to them. And then we'd serve them um, cakes and sandwiches and then they'd all go off in their, um, in their minibuses. And, and I had a lady, she, I met her when she was 80. Her birthday was in September and we always had the first one in September. And um, when I left, she was 106. So wow. I actually popped around. We must have not been in too strict a lockdown last September because she lived in this sort of sheltered accommodation opposite school. Yeah. And I used to pop over and see them quite a lot. But every September we would have a cake for her. You know, when she got to 90, I thought, oh, my word. Then she got to 100 <laughs> and we were kind of... And it, of course, the ch- my pupils every five years were going. So I'd say, we've been doing this for this lady since she was 80. Yeah. And um, to go and visit her when she was 106, absolutely uh, amazing. So I need to go and see if she's still alive, actually. But gosh, imagine. <laughs> she must have very good genes. That's- <laughs> I'll tell you what she did. When I called round, uh, when she was the, the day she was 106, she had a sherry on the go. This was at 12 o'clock. And she had a sherry. And um, it was very naughty, actually, because she let me in the fire exit. Probably shouldn't have been there. And um, this was last September, though. We got away with it. And I said, well, I'm going to go now, Peggy. So um, can I get you anything? And she said, oh, well, my lunch is coming soon. She said, just fill this glass up for me. Before I said, are you sure? I was worried she was going to fall off. <laughs> but if that's the secret, Marie... Couple of sherries every day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, and what a rewarding sort of thing that you've been doing, you know. I mean, I know you're very passionate about your charities and things. But what what's been the most rewarding of all of those different things? Your charity work, working with education. What's been the most rewarding for you? It's got to be the MBE, really, hasn't it? Um, to be given that. And, and actually, it was um, someone that I worked with for a long time who'd gathered all the information, you know, over the last 25 years. And because you have to send in evidence, she said, and everything. Um, I think achievements wise, I think probably uh, when I was 50, I decided to run the London Marathon, not being a runner. Um, oh, wow. I, I ran it to Click Sergeant and I started off just walking for two minutes, running for two minutes, and then um, eventually ran 26 miles, nearly killed me, never do it again. But um, school again, everyone at school really got behind me and a sixth former made a film right from me starting at two miles. And um, and Click Sergeant was a natural because it was, you know, we'd, we'd finished the Emily Kent Charitable Trust and it just seemed the charity that I should do it for. And parents, because this lad made the film and it went out to all the parents, uh, when I started, when I started the marathon that day, I was on £12,000 or something. So when I hit the wall at 10 miles, everyone says yeah. you hit it at 20. When I hit the, mile at, um, the wall at 10 miles and, and then I got to 16 miles, um, and I thought, right, 10 miles to go. And I'd done 10 miles so many times. I just, it's a mindset. It's, it's not just the, it's not just running. It's actually yeah. getting your head together. And I just thought, right, 10 miles, 10 miles. Let's pretend we're starting again. And and people that were tracking me could see that I was then got a bit quicker because I got my head together. And, um, and I really wanted to do it in under five hours. And I did it just under five hours. And I think for me... Wow. 
the achievement of doing that. And because I could then say to my girls that I was living with all the time, you know, when they were coming across things that were really difficult, I'd say, look, girls, if you want to do something, you can do anything. And, you know, no way did I think I would be able to run 26 miles nonstop. But, you know, if you, it is, isn't it? It's all about yeah. your mindset and getting and being determined. And I just, um, I, f- I feel that that's been a, a brilliant tool for me to use with the girls that I was looking after to try and inspire them to believe that they could do anything they wanted to. So that is incredible. When you was running around, because you see it on the telly, there's all these people dressed up. Does does the atmosphere of the whole run sort of carry you on? Uh, it's emotional. The whole thing is emotional because you're running behind someone who's got a picture of their dad or their son or their daughter or whatever, and you're you're reading it. I've cried a lot of the way around. Um and I was, I did start at the back with all the people dressed as penguins and everyone else, because you're in pens of how long you think it's going to take you. Um, and you do feel sick for the amount of jelly babies, because everyone's got jelly babies around <laughs> the way. And yeah, and it's because that's supposed to give you more energy. So if you take a jelly baby off everyone, you do feel quite sick by the end. <laughs> but the atmosphere, um, yeah, the atmosphere is amazing. But also, people said to me, oh, and when you run down the mall at the end, you just think, oh, I want to do this again. Well, Marie, I did not have that feeling. <laughs> I ran down the mall and I thought, I am never doing this. <laughs> but what an absolute phenomenal achievement. Well done you, mm. Julie. And I'm sure yeah. you inspired your girls. That's amazing. That's really amazing. So... Giving back is a massive part of who you are. Mm. What, where does that passion come from? I think, um, I think it's to do with, you know, when you lose a child, there's nothing worse than that. You know, well, there probably are, but I can't see that there is very much worse than that. And it's such a dreadful thing that I felt like I needed to do something positive so that you know, a positive came out of the dreadful negative. And so started on, you know, because we hadn't got any other children as well, we started on this treadmill of, of fundraising and it just became automatic. And we, you know, and then people would contact us and say, you know, can we have a laptop? Our son's had cancer and he's going back to school. Can we have a laptop? And so that sort of made us feel good that we were doing something that was helping other people. Yeah. And um, and then I suppose it just carried on i mean it it is a great feeling to do something to help someone else is a great feeling and it's and it's good for you to do something you know even if you help an old lady off a bus or you know if she drops something you know you do feel good if you help someone and the person you're helping also is getting the benefit and so to me you know businesses are always looking for a win-win situation and this is fundraising is a win-win situation because everyone is benefiting. And I just think, I do think actually COVID has made people better. You know, we are much more aware of people that live around us, those that are living on their own. It has it has brought out the best in people, although when you look at all the spamming going on, you probably think not. But I think generally we do. Um, and so now I just think it's so important. And for older people that retire and then volunteer, um, they live longer than their 
peers who don't do anything and are couch potatoes, you know, to still be involved in things. And we've got some volunteers um, at Pied Piper that have been with Pied Piper since the beginning, which is 30 years next year. And I was at um, an open garden thing last week and I said to them, they're in their 70s. And I said, gosh, you know, there they were signing people in with the collection bucket. And I said, how long have you been doing this? And they said, oh, 28 years. I said, that's amazing. Why? And they said, it just gives us something to do and focus on. And it keeps us young to be involved with all the young people that are coming through and getting involved. So, you know, it is a win-win. And I think for us, um, you know, my husband and I, I think it's it was just some way of having some positive come out of yeah. such a, a negative, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm an all or nothing person. You know, I don't do things by <laughs> heart. <laughs> which is why I don't which is why I don't drink wine anymore. You know, I kind of drink loads of wine or no wine. So, you know, I, I just go in everything head first and 100 percent. So it's I think you raised some really good points there about giving back. I mean, you mentioned about sort of the older people that you've sort of encountered that do volunteering, but with so much emphasis on sort of corporate social responsibility, a lot more businesses are actually looking at how they can add value to their communities. I mean, I, I volunteer in a couple of roles. I, I'm part of the careers and enterprise company. So I partner with a school as an enterprise advisor. And that's really fulfilling. And then I also volunteer in my local Longbridge um, village in their gym. And I do that alongside running my own business because that is my way of giving back. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when organisations are looking at how they can improve their cultures, that is, like you said, it's absolutely a win-win. Yeah, it really yeah. Is. Definitely. So, in inspiration, I'm interested. When when we when I'm speaking to somebody with an MBE, <laughs> who are, who are the people that inspires you? I don't know. I love quotes. I do put a lot of quotes on my social media. I would love to have met Mother Teresa. I just think, what a selfless woman. You know, I, I don't think she would have ever thought of herself at all. She certainly wouldn't have had a wardrobe full of dresses, would she? Uh, I just think she was absolutely phenomenal. I would love to have met her. And actually, I, I'm a big advocate for the Queen. I think she yeah. is an amazing woman. I mean, look what life has thrown at her. She, you know, she has this wonderful new husband. They go away on holiday. She comes back and she's the Queen because her father's died. Yeah. And then has coped with everything that has been thrown at her with such dignity. And I just, I'm a massive royalist anyway, but you know, she is an incredible woman. And so I'm inspired by people like that really. Um, and you know, people do ask me, I don't really, I don't really have time to think about who's inspiring. I'm too busy kind of just lurching from one thing to another from the minute I get up in the morning. I think it's because you're inspiring so many people with all of the amazing work that you do with charities, Julie. You're just an absolute icon in relation to that. So you well deserve your MBE. Congratulations yeah. to you. Yeah. It's been lovely to chat with you this morning, Julie, and we could go on and on. 
<laughs> For people that are listening in, how is the best way they can get in touch with you? Uh, well, I'm on all social media platforms. I love social media. So uh, I am on Twitter at Julie Kent MBA, Instagram the same. I've got a couple of Facebook pages because I was told I needed to have a professional page. Um, and I've got another another page called um, 50 Fun and Fabulous, which is only going to be there for an, about another hundred and so days because then I'm hitting um, 60 and sassy, which Ooh. is um, happening in November. So... <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think up lots of ideas that I can do uh, for my 60th. So I'm at Julie Kent MBA and my email is hello at juliekentmba.com. And I'd love to hear people who have listened to me and then have gone and fundraised, you know, tag me in and I'll encourage and try and promote it for you, you know, whatever charity it is, really. That's brilliant. And while we're on a podcast, I just need to mention your podcast, Julie. Yeah, my podcast is called What's in the Goodie Bag. And um, so I interview people that have been successful, but they've also done something for someone else or other people. And at the end, I ask them to donate something into my goodie bag, which I then raffle or auction for the Pied Piper Appeal, which is the children's charity in Gloucestershire. So I've had some lovely things. A hat lady gave me um, a pin with a Swarovski crystal in, and I've had lots of coaching. And, and actually, my podcast act today, oh, no, it won't be there when, when this goes out, but it's an actor um, in LA, and he was absolutely lovely. And he, yeah, he's given them a really nice thing in my bag too. So, so that's the idea of it. So please listen in. Yeah, so even on your podcast, you're giving back, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. So how can people listen to your podcast? Where do they find that? It's on all the platforms and it's um, What's in the Goodie Bag. Brilliant. Julie, it's been an absolute delight to speak to you today. Thank you so much and congratulations on your MBE. Exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Bye. We're excited to tell you about our workshop coming up on the 5th of August. Mental health awareness and its place at work. We'd love you to join us. If you're interested to get your ticket, visit our website www.advanceyourwellbeing.com dot co dot uk and we'll see you there thank you